0: Be prepared to be inspired, heartbroken, to laugh, and be motivated to action with stories, voices, and perspectives that rarely hit mainstream media. Hi, my name is Cheryl, host of the Global Citizenship and Equity podcast, where I feature leaders, practitioners, community leaders who are taking us forward in the 21st century. This podcast elevates the perspectives that shake up the status quo and allow us to feel into what it means to be human in a vulnerable society and on a very angry planet. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is around the world, this is a special 2021 Pride Month episode. It's called Coming Out Twice, where I have an intimate conversation with Dr. Shannon Wong-Lerner, a speech and communications coach specialist about her working philosophy, and how she came out of the closet twice. In the context of global citizenship, there are so many young LGBTQIA folks who face pressures, stigma, physical threats, and invisibility around the world. This episode acknowledges America's very recent history, specifically the 1990s in Sacramento, California, for a Jewish-Chinese-American teenager. I'm always reminded that Pride Month is very much a revolt against shame, internalized oppression, and and survival-based hiding, encountering the invisibility of anti-Chinese-American sentiment right now the racism and xenophobia that we're currently facing, as well as the added struggles of trans and homophobia. This is the second episode in a row to feature a queer Asian identified leader. I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: So, I have a communication coaching consulting business that at least actually at one time was more corporate centered because that's what I thought I was supposed to be doing as a business coach and communication coach. But actually when I first came out or second came out in June of this year, I actually completely changed it. And that's when Cheryl and I met. And so I had a dream for a while to focus it on underrepresented people and professionals and to cater everything for us. So people of color, Asian Pacific Islander, you know, people who are neurodivergent and LGBTQIA+. And so I, yeah, it has been a very short period of time, but I feel like I've been able to connect my personal story and what's been going on with me personally with my voice and then to connect with this amazing audience online. And that has fueled and fueled my decision to change my business and kind of put me in this
0: completely different direction in my life. Yeah, and so I want to dive into... So it's incredible what you've been putting out and, and how people have been responding. As, at least from my perspective, I've seen I've seen like the interactions online. Mm. So let's let's dive into a little bit of history. And okay. because I, I think we've talked about how you did come out pretty early. But I'm curious as to what it was like around that time and, and mm. the things that led up to that. So this was the late 80s, early
1: 90s. and. I grew up in Sacramento, California, where I live now. And at that time, there, were, there was a lot of different tension. It's, it's interesting because it's a little similar to what's happening now with Black Lives Matter, but it was not as organized. It was mm-hmm. like more underground. And so there were people, there was like a huge you know, white nationalist skinhead faction and population that lived not far from Sacramento. And so they would come in and and cause trouble for people of color, for queer people. And then there were other groups who were fighting those guys. They were mostly guys. So those guys. And so I grew up in this and then there were punks and there were goths and all these different subcultures. So people expressing themselves in a way that had to do with fashion, had to do with music, you know, going to shows, things that only, I think, a fraction of younger people do, right? Now. Well, especially now with COVID, no one's really doing it at all. <laughs> but, but at that time, this sense of identity really came from how you could express, express yourself uniquely. And some of this had to do with the way we congregated in groups and maybe the labels we gave ourselves. I never really had a label. I sort of kind of dipped into each group and had maybe one or two friends from each group. But I did create zines at that time. So I remember I actually got this, it was almost like a pamphlet. It was like this really small book pamphlet at a used bookstore and it was Judith Butler. And this was early, Mm -hmm. early on. And then it had queer in the title and then she talked about what queer was. And I'd never actually heard that term before in that context and it being used in this positive way. And so this was right when I was coming out as by at the time, I decided kind of in a similar way that I did just recently that I was going to, you know, use my writerly voice, use my creativity, use all the stories and, and all the talents of the people I saw around me and create this zine. And I called it Zine Queer. And we actually, for the very first well, it was the second the second edition we actually interviewed Pansy Division. I don't know if you know who they are when they were really small. And so <laughs> they're one of the first sort of like Indian punk rock queer groups. And so yeah, interviewed them and just I guess in that same spirit, and I haven't really thought of it lately in that way because I'm, you know, this is like 30 years later yeah <laughs> Wait, how
0: old How old were you when 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 all this was happening when you created the zine you were coming out how, so how I old think, were you
1: I think I started to come out when I was 15
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I did the zine when I was 16 17 and I remember I put it on maximum rock and roll which is like a punk catalog it sort of like was a way to advertise was a way that we communicated before the internet, which makes me sound really ancient, but for all the millennials watching, they're like, how old is she? But I it was they didn't really have a lot like for queer youth. And so Mm -hmm. when I put out what the zine was, I got so many responses of all over the country who and maybe all over the world, I can't remember at this time. So when I came up with the third edition I remember I sent them out. So I think I just asked for a dollar in postage. So another envelope, you know, and I just would fold them and put them in there. And it was great. It was great. I actually, I think I was coaching back then because I remember I had this one guy who contacted me somewhere in the Midwest and told his story and we would write back and forth. And then he sent me, this sounds strange. He sent me an engagement ring because he said he realized that he was gay, and that he didn't need it at the time for the person he thought he was going to give it to. So he said he sent it to me. So I had all these, yeah, interesting. And then at that time, too, it was something that I think was unique. And I didn't mention this is there was really this very conservative, conservative sort of response to AIDS crisis, AIDS epidemic Mm -hmm. crisis. So there was a sense of assimilation within the queer community and they would even call themselves queer community. Yeah. I was a part of the LGBT center, but the BT was barely, it was like hanging off the sign, you know? Yeah, Like if it was yeah. neon, the GL would be lit up and the, they'd be like, Oh, we don't know what happened with the rest of it. It just, yeah. <laughs> so they, so there was a real like favoring gay, favoring lesbian identified people and seeing the rest of us kind of in these this substandard way, or like, we don't even want to talk about you, we're just going to keep you sort of in this secondary closet, right? And so that was one thing I wanted to do kind of in that like, punk subcultural spirit, is really celebrate all people of all you know, orientations and identifications. And I tried the best. Sometimes I looked at some of the scenes and I was a little embarrassed at like the language I use, but I was trying my best to kind of open it up to everyone. And that's that queer umbrella term that I really
0: love. And for people who don't know what that time frame was like, it was a really different time. I mean, it wasn't exactly, it really wasn't easy coming out no. during those days. And I mean, I think the thing you were talking about, about it being more lesbian, gay uh, focused, and I would say gay male focused more so Mm. than even lesbian at the time, because I think the lesbian movement really picked up maybe mid-90s, I think. It was definitely, it was a different time. There was a lot of invisibility. So the fact that a 15, 16-year-old decides (laughs) to take leadership and, and like, develops this this cultivates this this dean sort of a a container or or Mm -hmm. some room for this sort of expression to take place that's a lot for a 16 year old and (laughs) and when I think about queer youth in general over history I think people who come out early are sort of burdened with with this but at the same time I've seen just this kind of leadership from such young people Mm -hmm. I don't think that people appreciate how hard it is to do it And how incredible it is at the same time. Yeah. To see that kind of leadership happen in your teenage life. It really is something. Who did you come out to? Was it your family or was it school or was it. So I came
1: out, I came out in school. I I was very outspoken in my classrooms about everything in fact so much so that I had skipped a lot of school and I was technically supposed to be held back and the teachers told the principal please like let her graduate we don't because I just asked so many questions about every like anything and everything so that started back then <laughs> for me mm-hmm. I still do that I had tech, I had a girlfriend where we actually did not have a physical relationship. I actually asked her to my prom and she went. And mm. so we were dressed up for prom, like the only single sex couple, I think ever. Wow. a <laughs> Pretty conservative area of Sacramento and Landmark mm-hmm. at McKinley High School. And it caused quite a stir. What is happening? Like this bomb went off in the you know, auditorium. And I remember, I'll always remember that when we slow danced, the whole thing, the whole dance floor cleared because they were so freaked out that that was happening. And I don't know what was, they were doing. I did wasn't looking around. I don't know if they were staring at us If you know, I'm assuming they were staring.
0: Wow. Can you remember what was on your mind as you were dancing? And when you saw people freak out or what was on your mind?
1: I think i I think i I didn't feel fearful because I actually never felt fear like a bashing until recently
2: hmm. so
1: I didn't feel that and I think as like a young person and someone who just thinks they can rule the world, that's how I always felt when I was really young. It was only like later in life that started to like you know take that idea away from me and then I had to get it back for myself. But I think I felt very empowered mm-hmm. because. This is so cheesy, but only people in the 80s and 90s are going to get this. So I was wearing a red dress. It was a vintage red dress. And there was a little bow there. And I'd taken it and I'd made a choker. And then she was wearing a tuxedo. And then I was wearing a tuxedo jacket. I don't know what the, it was some couture brand. I can't remember what. And the lady in red came on and then we slow down. So it was like the symbolic thing. I mean, you could take it in all kinds of directions, <laughs> right? scarlet letter or whatever. But yeah, it was like, I was the lady in red. I was dancing with who I wanted to dance with. But the, the cool thing about it is I remember later running into a friend of mine who, you know, I always thought would just never approve. She's Christian and Baptist and, And she came up to me and she was just beaming and she sort of thanked me. You know, And she said, she said, no, she couldn't even like speak. She didn't understand like how to say what she was trying to say. No one does that or something like she was trying to say something, but you did it. You know, it, it, whether she ended up gay or not, I have no idea, but it definitely just that act. It was almost like later I ended up doing performance art. So it was almost like this was my, maybe one of my first performance art pieces as like a young young person
0: young adult yeah I mean I think you say it's performance art and I can't help but think about the queer movement at the time and how unfortunately these things were getting politicized at the same time sure and so even though it was an act of like two people in love and and and, and like you were you were a daredevil just getting out there dancing and I don't think that people get that this kind of stuff back then was really, it was, it was really hard for young people to do this. I mean, it was, it was
1: really hard just to be queer. I mean, I remember I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could be like that out. So, you know, when I was in this relationship with this woman, I remember we like wanted to just hold hands somewhere and we couldn't. So we went to this and we're both not Christian at all. We went to this church called unity church because we knew they were gay friendly. And that's, we had a very innocent relationship in that way, just it. And it was like, you know, very exciting. And that was like the only place we could do it.
2: Hmm.
0: So leadership, it's all the conditions that led up to you having to lead your mm-hmm. your life. But at the same time, because of the conditions, it ended up having an influence on the people around you.
1: I got caught up somehow in like a peer pressure thing where I thought that I wasn't actually queer.
0: Hmm. And so
1: I was kind of told, you know, cause when I tried to have a relationship with this woman, it just didn't work because we weren't compatible. And I thought that meant that I wasn't gay. And so everyone around me told me that, you know, if it's this time I was 18 and so I just, it was really hurtful and hard. And I just like kind of dropped out of that whole thing and was just like, I guess I'm straight. How did that happen? So then I thought I was straight basically for the next, you know, 28 years, which is strange. And I, you know, just started gathering things like degrees and accolades and publications. And I think in my mind, I kept thinking that if I had all these things, if I had these accomplishments, I would feel good about who I was, not kind of like forgetting having like an amnesia of who I was before when I was that Mm. emboldened, you know, teenager kind of thinking she could rule the world (laughs) and change (laughs) the world. I just sort of changed into this other person.
2: Mm. And so
1: for example, for my doctoral program, you know, UNC Chapel Hill was sort of like at the top for communication studies. And I, and I, that's what I wanted. I thought that would do it. That would like make me feel whole and accomplished. And so when I got accepted, and this is something I noticed too, is every time I would actually meet one of my goals, which was always very difficult, like this completely steep uphill battle, I would always think that I would feel good and then I didn't. So I would always feel like really empty. And so I remember getting that and being on this high that I got it. And then when I got there, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but I stuck with it and, you know, got this amazing education and incredible experience. I traveled different places in the world to study and studied with some amazing minds and ended up doing some incredible work. But I think it took me a long time to kind of discover who I really was behind all of that doing, all of the accomplishments, and Mm -hmm. kind of gathering these degrees to kind of fill up this picture of who I was. It's like I had forgotten.
0: You went into this amnesia about your queerness. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you told me that part of the story, because had the situation been a hetero situation, just Mm -hmm. because it doesn't work out with a guy doesn't mean that you're sure,
1: automatically gay. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you're right. That's a really yeah.
0: good point. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's incredible what, you know, what what the mind will do when it's when it's pressured into assimilation. So, so you so you put your all your energy into academia, you achieved a whole lot. There was all this sublimation happening. And then what 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 led to you coming out a second time? So,
1: I had separated from my partner for a year, my male partner. And, and that was sort of like a rocky relationship, I think for both of us to be fair. And I think spending that time on my own. So another piece of this is that I felt that I, I should move in with my mother because of some things going on there with her. And so all of a sudden now I'm in my childhood home, (laughs) like that home I grew, I, maybe this is like the spirit of that teenage self came back. I have no idea, but I'm, you know, back in my childhood home living there thinking how did I get here like I should be <laughs> like these other places but I actually felt strangely really comforted there and I felt like it's where I should be another piece of this too and I wanted to mention this before and I'll get back to this the question that you asked is that in terms of leadership and I think where I was when I was a teenager and how this kind of spirit of leadership started for me and where mm-hmm. I am now
2: mm-hmm. is
1: that for me It was never a choice. Mm -hmm. So it was like a, like a calling or I don't calling. It sounds. It was like a, like I saw something happening and I had to do something. And there was Mm -hmm. something in me, my voice, a story, something creative, a song. You know, this project, the idea of the the zine, and then later of my business. There was Mm -hmm. something I had to do to use what I had to help with this problem. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was never a choice. So I would say, if you are kind of cultivating this question of leadership, and people are thinking about this, how mm-hmm. do I become a leader? How do I do this? Is I think finding that thing that you feel passionate about, and that is effortless, because mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. it felt
0: to me. Is it something you feel somatically in your body? Like when you feel that calling or some this higher purpose or because it's it's almost like you're called to contribute mm-hmm. in some way?
1: I think. And this is part of the philosophy that I study with Luce Irigaray. So she Mm -hmm. talks about a breath that is a gift and it's our gift of life. And so we have to use that wisely in what we do and what we say and kind of where we put our energy. Mm -hmm. So we can see what we do with our bodies. We can see the actions that we take as fruitless or frivolous, or maybe it doesn't matter. And then if you do that, you kind of poo-poo on that gift, or you sort of like throw it away, or you disrespect it. You disrespect your life. The way I take it is whenever you feel compelled to do something that you think goes beyond the boundary of your body and yourself that extends out to other people and could help other people, and you use your life force for that, and it feels effortless, almost like Feeling like I have my window open now, and I, well, I have an air purifier, <laughs> I have all kinds of ventilation things. <laughs> Feeling the air circulate around you and that mm-hmm. mixing with your breath, as effortless as that, something that feels like that to you and that gives you energy. So you're, and now you're circulating this energy, right? This life force, you're mixing that life force with other people's for the greater good. I think once you find that thing, which I feel like I found in what I'm doing with my business and with communication, all the breath work I'm doing and and everything else, then I think leadership just, it can just happen. It is something you have to work at for sure. It's not just like, I'm not saying you wake up, you're born, you have a breath and you you start leading, you know, the doctors and operating (laughs) rooms. But no, I'm not saying you're just born a leader. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it's, I think it's something that for me took all those years to realize what all of that training you know, all the skill building, the degrees, all of this stuff added up to and could add up to. So it wasn't, Mm -hmm. I was, I was accomplishing things in order to be a person Mm -hmm. in the eyes of others. Mm
2: -hmm. It
1: was, I was accomplishing these things because I'm already a person (laughs) and I want to help other people like me who are going through the same things as me and who are going through the same things that I went through before. I also think there's a really interesting idea of, you know, breathing into something as when you speak, you fill a room, right? And so you speak and now there's kind of the space between you and me and then you have to deduct like what I just said and the meaning and then you have to, you know, there's that whole process. But with breath, it it's outside of the realm of those symbols that are fixed or could be fixed. Mm-hmm. And so... Now there's a space between us. It's not a space of distance, but it's a space of openness, of listening and respect. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of the philosophy that I got from those and It's a lot of what I embed in my communication practice, my coaching practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that that idea of breath that both respects and looks at our people of color and queer people looks at our invisibility and inaudibility throughout our whole lives to speak authentically as ourselves. It both looks at that and respects it and kind of pays homage to it in a sense, but also kind of lets it go and activates it mm-hmm. into an integrated embodied way to speak that is both authentic but also leaves room and space for others to speak to. Mm.
0: I love the way you, you put things together and, and that consciousness that you bring to your work and your leadership. It's really, it's really beautiful. And and that's why I really wanted to interview you so people could hear about this and, and, and listen to how mindfulness and breath work and all of that come together with leadership. So coming back to your second
1: coming out story. <laughs> yeah, coming out story is when I got out of that relationship. We were technically still together for a year, but we didn't really see each other. It was, I would say, it was basically done just because we were so separate. I think we only saw each other maybe a handful of times, and yeah, I think just being alone, not having finished my dissertation, having finished that degree, I was still really busy. So that is another thing: is I just was working myself probably harder than ever. So I was teaching, uh, four classes and then five classes at two different colleges and I'm not saying this is like this I hate it when people it's like I'm doing all these I'm just there's a point to this so I was doing that I was working on like my first academic book as like a project that I was contributing to as a co-editor and curating and then I was running my business. So it was doing all three things. And it was crazy. It was just, yeah, it was really crazy. And so I was doing all of that, I guess, in that separation and right before that separation. And then I got really sick uh, because I just was wearing my body out. And I think it was interesting because I feel like in that time that I was kind of pushing my body and my what I could do, like trying to have three careers all at the same time, so I could decide which one I wanted to do. In the time that I did that, I think I got to a place where I was so exhausted, I just had to stop, you know, and rest and try to be more restful and mindful. And then I got back into my meditation practice and my yoga practice. And I started doing that almost every day. And then In that process, just kind of getting quiet with myself and still with myself, it just sort of came to me slowly, almost like puzzle pieces coming together. Hmm. Signs, like signs from the past that this was there the whole time. Hmm. And even when I was coming out, coming out to people and people being like, oh, I already knew (laughs) about this. It was very anticlimactic. I was like, how <laughs> did you know? And I didn't know. Why didn't anyone tell me? It was really, it was very anticlimactic to come out because I think there was only one person who was surprised. Mm-hmm. Maybe two. But so, yeah, my coming out process was, I guess, like painful because mm-hmm. part of that is looking back and thinking, it was kind of a life half lived in a sense. Like I was almost like robotically going through all these things and trying to succeed so that I could accumulate a sense of myself, but you can't do that with degrees and accolades. You just keep adding those things up and your CV keeps getting longer and, you know, you could just get lost in all of that. Mm -hmm. So, and lost, you know, part of the purpose of overworking or any addiction is losing yourself. So I think that was the goal for me was losing myself. But the beauty of that was, was losing myself so I could come back to myself Mm. is what ended up happening Mm. through work, not just, didn't just magically happen. I had to work at that.
0: Mm. So as you were deep in meditation, you were breathing and awakening to the clearness that you had been disconnected from. Mm-hmm. And and so you I mean, what happened from there? So what was this reclamation like? <laughs> There's some stuff I'm not gonna share, but the thing I will share <laughs> is that I I got on
1: OK Cupid and at first I because of this stuff coming up, I felt like I was going to cause you have the option to check both men and women. And so I did that and my interactions where men were like terrible, like from my perspective and theirs, I just, there was like nothing happening for me there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I noticed like with women, it was this completely different thing and yeah. And, you know, gender non-binary, non-conforming people too. Like there was this completely different thing happening with me and like communicating and also just this idea of what a relationship could be like, I guess, with someone else, you know, not just in not a heterosexual relationship, but also with myself too, and like discovering who I was.
2: Hmm.
1: So I think that was kind of what did it, you know, is that just looking at like how I was feeling, I guess, when I was, interacting with people, like both online and in person. And then in like the yogic way, really paying attention to, you know, how I was feeling, like what my responses were, you know, how I felt in my heart and like, what was my spirit saying, my soul saying, and finally being in a place where I could do that, which was really wonderful.
0: And then then tying it back to leadership. And then, so when I met you virtually Mm -hmm. online, I saw you with like, you know, Facebook, uh, I think two Facebook groups Mm -hmm. kind of bringing queer BIPOC people together, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing a meditation kind of feel to everything. And it was really a unique space because I don't see a lot of spaces that, you know, that provides a container for both being queer and being BIPOC and you took leadership around that. And you've been an advocate for trans folks and BIPOC mm-hmm. folks, you know, through your content, your social media. And so once again, you went into that kind <laughs> of activist leadership. And so it's just a, it's just incredible how, like, when you talk about your journey, mm-hmm. that breathing life into yourself or, or, or kind of awakening to what's within kind of almost becomes this natural process of, mm-hmm. of, of just turning it outward and, and offering support and help and, and being of service to other leaders. I just think it's a wonderful story. And, and Ooh, there's so much you. tiny bits of just magic that people can take from this story, because I mm-hmm. think there's so many folks out there who, one, are queer BIPOC and mm-hmm. maybe our thinking of meditation, maybe our thinking of more conscious ways of being. And I think hearing your story, I think really just, I don't think that people appreciate coming out stories in the way that queer people do, because it leads the way for other folks. It, it almost yes. like it opens avenues for others. And so I think, I think it's really special that we, we talked today and, yeah. and shared. Is Thank there you. anything else that you want listeners to hear about or understand about conscious leadership for you or your journey. I think maybe the main thing is just to get active
1: and don't think too much about it to the point to where you talk yourself out of it. Mm. So things don't have to look perfect, they don't have to sound perfect, they don't have to read perfectly. I think just getting out your message little by little in just baby steps can go a long way. And so I, I would say that because, you know, even with just like the videos from Queer Home Meditation from the Facebook page, I feel like we're really rough in the beginning, but I knew that I needed to get that out. So I just started and then it just grew from there.
0: So avoid overthinking, just yeah, jump in. Yeah, just jump in.
1: I mean, jump in and, you know, I also would say one other thing. So this is something that I didn't get until recently and then doing my own business and things like that too, is that when you feel something like you feel afraid, you want to do, you really want to do something, but you feel afraid. Like, for example, you want to come out publicly and you know, with this group that you haven't come out with yet, or you want to start a podcast or something like that. Don't like run from that fearful feeling because that fearful feeling is actually growth happening And so, and that sounds counter because you think you're afraid. So now you protect yourself, right? But I think there's something about this work where you, I don't want to say you should be fearless because I think that that, there's meaning behind that because it means you're doing something important and you care about it. But it is something that I think over and over again, lately I've had to tackle and develop new senses and new processes to think through what that fear is, like what is this really and how is it leading, trusting that it's actually leading me in a good direction.
2: Mm.
0: There you have it, my intimate conversation with Dr. Shannon Wong Lerner, who came out twice and the gems she offered on leading life with breath. My thoughts this Pride Month are that around the world, transgender and gay rights are constantly threatened. In some parts of the world, it's criminalized and hate crimes as well as murders go unnoticed. People are misgendered in their death. And people are punished for who they love and how they choose to express their love. In the United States, while we have marriage equality now, this has been a very, very recent history. And even as early in, you know, just a couple of years back, thinking about how life was prior to marriage equality was, was a different world for me. I don't think we can ignore the current fight for transgender rights in this country. In certain states, there are harmful legislations that keep getting pushed and it continues to cause harm. And threaten transgender rights, safety. And we've got to keep speaking up about this. We've got to be holding hands with our transgender family. And moving forward. Now if you like my podcast, I I really, really, really appreciate it. That you're even listening to this podcast. It really makes a difference. Please write a review. If you want to, that's a great way to contribute to this podcast. You can email me your opinions or ask me questions. Also, you can make a very kind donation over Venmo. The Venmo account description should be in the description um, of, of the episode. So with all that, I wish everybody a very happy 2021 Pride Month. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Global Citizenship and Equity podcast. If you liked this episode, please visit us at www.leadingwithconsciousness.com or subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.